the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast. My name is Ian Tullock. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. How you doing this week, Anthony? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm hanging in there. You know, one day at a time here in quarantine. The weather is nicer outside right now, so you can get out for a nice, whether it's a run or a jog. I'm more of a rollerblader guy, personally. That's been one of my things. What have you been up to lately? I'm a city biker. I love biking the city. I know it's not designed for bikers. It's always uh, in the middle of downtown Toronto. The traffic sometimes brutal, but maybe in COVID it's a bit easier now. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of close to Christie Pitts, and they have uh, for anyone who's familiar with the city, Shaw Street, which is right there, which is a, a cycling street pretty much exclusively. So, um, yeah, it's extremely dangerous if I'm on the main roads, and I don't feel great about it. But uh, you know, it's kind of what it's like being a Leaf fan in general. So here we are. <laughs> So speaking of being a Leafs fan and being frustrated and all the emotions that come with it, refereeing has been a topic of conversation lately. The Tim Peel firing, I think, happened right after we recorded last week. So it might be a good time to touch on it now because anytime I'm watching a Leafs game, and this isn't just this past week, this has really been the last couple of years, you see a lot of frustrations about officiating. And one of my biggest uh, frustrations is... Frankly, with the people sometimes who complain about officiating, because sometimes I think we're just whining and we're explaining away bad results. When you lose a particular game, it's easy to blame the official instead of blaming yourself. So sometimes I think we need to take a a closer look in the mirror. But this Tim Peel fiasco, I think it's shone a light on the fact that trying to balance penalties in hockey, when you think about it logically, it's completely backwards and it defeats the whole purpose of having a rule book in the first place. So I'll just, I'll open up the floor to you here. What are your overall thoughts on officiating, especially since it's been a big topic in the last week? So I have a few and I'm trying to categorize them and sort them so that I don't miss anything. The first thing is it's a hard job. It, it honestly, it really is. You can't win. No. And, and we were saying before I've refed very hack the you know the odd you know minor hockey tryout or school hockey game or things of that nature and i'm like i was a level two official i'm not sure if i qualify in the ron mclean category you are basically ron mclean yeah just bring up my old picture it's in the background there i'm not excuse me my ref jersey but it's it's a very difficult job and even when you're consciously trying to make the right calls i think the human element we're social creatures of trying to quote-unquote balance the game and oh you just called a penalty on one team fans are screaming at you I think even if you're not consciously trying to do it subconsciously the evidence shows that we will balance the calls and if you're trying to predict who's gonna get the next penalty all you need to do is look at who took the last penalty and if you combine that with the score of the game and oh one team's losing yeah let's get them a power play it's frustrating because that shouldn't be part of the game realistically. When you think about it, it should be, was there an infraction? Okay, we'll call it. There was no infraction. We won't call it. But that's not the way it's going. And I've seen some people defend officiating to say, oh, you know, we want the human element to be in the game. We want there to be uh, a way that refs can make the right decision. And I think sometimes people are wrong about what the right decision is. I think sometimes people think that, balancing the game is the right way to do it and I just think that that completely goes against the fabric of hockey and setting rules and saying if you break a rule you get punished but wait no not if you're leading or not if you're trailing and not if you took the last penalty but if you took the previous three penalties there's no way you can get a penalty in the future that makes no sense to me and it it completely just you can hear the frustration in my voice. It really bothers me. So the tough thing is, and and Sheldon Keefe touched on it a little bit because I was, you know, listening when they asked him, and and a few others have had this sentiment throughout the league, and I think it it's pretty consistent, is that if they called everything by the exact rule book, then there would just be a ridiculous amount of penalties. And to a degree, I was kind of reminded about the. Um, the Shanahan era when he was the Department of Justice there. Um, Department of Player Safety. Yeah. And uh, if you remember, there was like, you know, we were, I think it was the average of penalties a game was like six or something. And I remember watching it just being like, I hate this product. Like, I hate watching power plays all the time. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't, like, let penalties go. I'm saying that they're kind of being set up to fail because – People don't want to see a bunch of penalties all game, right? And so by extension, they're kind of saying like, 
we don't necessarily like we know what the rules are but you you have to use your judgment a little bit because we don't want you to call them like every single time because we don't want to have games where there's like 15 20 penalties and that part i, I know do that was get. the case right after the lockout if you look at the first two seasons after the lockout penalty rates went way up and goal rates went way up let me say that again goal rates went way up but those were mainly because of all the power plays and naturally there are going to be more goals when you do that and i didn't I think enjoy a lot of that want, I didn't yeah, we enjoy want that. we want five on five hockey to be. That, that's where it's at its best. And if we can have more scoring at five on five, I think that's the ultimate goal. But when it comes to penalties and penalty differential, I think my biggest frustration is that if you look at how often should there be a game where a team has a penalty differential of let's say plus two or plus three, it should happen way more often in an all luck world where oh one team might get a penalty, this team might get a penalty. But if you look at the way it actually happens, if one team takes a penalty. The next penalty is probably going to the other team. And if one team has a lead in the third period, they're probably going to get called for a penalty at some point, and it shouldn't be the case. And the tough thing, too, is, uh, and I'll kind of piggyback off of what John Tavares was saying, just because he said it, even though I was also thinking it before he did. It, and I, knowing this from just even my experience of just playing as a kid, coaching minor hockey, all that, what drives me more nuts than anything is just the lack of consistency within a game. So we actually had a good example of the Leafs last game, right? Mitch Marner gets boarded, cross-checked, interference. You could have picked any of the three, and they call nothing. And then the next period, they call Wayne Simmons for something similar, possibly not as worse. Not even going to get into the whole dissecting of one play versus the other. But basically, if you're going to call one, you have to call the other. If you don't call one, then you can't call the other. Because and this is the frustration because it's based on who took the last penalty. It's based on the score state of the game. It's not actually based on the infraction. So I think partly what happens in that kind of scenario too is the ref goes, all right, like I thought it was a little bit of a nudge and maybe Marner was a little bit off balance and he falls. Just trying to justify it as maybe the ref would see it. And then the next one happens and he goes, okay, I can't let two go because the game's going to get crazy if I do. And that's... And that's BS, right? Like that's when you're you're Keith, you're the Leafs, and you're watching on the bench, and you're like, our guy got the same thing, you didn't call it, and now we're killing a penalty, like not even a full period later. That's when people get upset, right? And that's we saw Keith. Uh, what was it like three weeks ago? It was probably my favorite moment as him as a coach so far is when they called Zach Hyman for that little interference bump on the faceoff. And you could see him pull down his mask. And I don't know if he was saying 15 or 50, but he was like, that happens like 50 times a game. And he was losing it and he got benched. I think there were a few expletives in there. As there should have been, right? (laughs) But that's the consistency. That's what pisses people off. He's sitting there being like, I watch this damn face-off play happen all the time. And now you just decide to pick and choose when you're calling it. That's the stuff. Honestly, I know people are talking makeup calls and they're talking whatever. These refs need to be clear. What... The refs, I think, are saying from Peel's standpoint is he's trying to set a line of consistency at the beginning. He obviously went about that the wrong way, but they do need to be consistent throughout. When they don't, and then you can see them and they start going, okay, I think the game's getting crazy, so now I need to start making up calls and like settle things down. You've already lost the plot at that point. It's a joke. Right. And I think it's with the Tim Peel, it's not the fact that he said it because I know that's why he got suspended. But to me, it's indicative of the bigger issue, which is that's kind of the way the NHL wants things to be called. Otherwise, yeah. they would, you know, Tim Peel wouldn't be a highly recognized official in the game to that point. So this is the way the league wants things to be. And that to me is the biggest problem overall here because if we're not basing actual penalties on what happened on the ice, we're basing it on this on the situation we're basing it on oh well it's third period there's a couple minutes left so now it's not a penalty but you know what if, if it was taken at the exact same time and this team was up by two goals well yeah then it would be a penalty but not if they took the last penalty but and, and you're getting into all these ridiculous circumstances yeah, just it call stupid. it if it happened it's a penalty if it didn't happen it's not a penalty and i don't know why that's such a hard concept to grasp for some people but it doesn't seem to be the way the nhl wants things called and if we could make a list of things that bother us with the NHL, whether it's the loser point, you know, the officiating. They're a long, there's a long list. That but loser this is point, definitely high on that list. I'm telling you, that loser point's going to come up about and come up again in this podcast in about like 10, 15 minutes when we start looking at the trade board because I am pissed looking at the trade board. 
any amount of teams that are not selling because they think that they're good and honestly they're not but they you know this fake point this whole system of hey if you can be parody, Batman 500 every team is 500 now 24 teams garbage. are Batman 500 so you can convince your ownership that you're actually a good team and now the owners are happy and huh frustrating it's, times but let's transition up. here let's get out of let's let's make a controlled zone exit of this conversation <laughs> and uh speaking of controlled zone exit so let's talk about zach hyman because he is we've talked about him a lot this year he's transitioning the puck way more to the point that he's actually been an effective driver on that mckay of engval line uh i was listening to justin Bourne on the radio a few days ago and he brought up the fact that if you look at tavares's ice time it's been frustrating, you know, 15 minutes in that game where he played excellent, him and Nylander, you're thinking a combined, they make a combined, what, $18 million? And when they play 15 or 16 minutes, you're thinking, how can this be possible? But when Justin Bourne brought up the fact that, well, when you have Hyman on that McKay of Engvall line, they're being used as a matchup line against the other team's top players. And then you're getting Matthews Marner out there for their 24 minutes a night or whatever it is. And there aren't enough minutes left over for Tavares and Nylander, especially when you have Spezza rolling at the top points per 60 rate on the team. There's not enough minutes for everyone. So this is where we get into the conversation of where is it best for the team for Zach Hyman to play? Because you can make a solid argument that on the McKay of Engvall line, they're north of 60% in expected goals. They're getting the job done. But if that's going to result in your two of your best players not getting enough minutes, then maybe it's not the right way to optimize the team. What are your thoughts on the subject? All right, first off, I feel slighted because I also wrote the same thing yesterday. <laughs> Just breaking down in terms of if Hyman's on the checking line and you're going to put that line out against the other team's top line, that they're a top six line. They are effectively your second line. Yeah, they, they move ahead of Tavares on the depth chart. And when Engvall and Mikheyev are getting more minutes than Tavares and Nylander, that can be a problem. And that's how the math works, right? That's just naturally, especially when you have a top line that you're like, honestly, it doesn't really matter what they do. They're going to play 24 minutes a night. I'm not saying I agree with that. I think that whole ice time allocation is whack in and of itself. I mean, it makes but, sense to give your best players a lot of minutes, but then also give Tavares Nylander a lot of minutes. They're yeah, good players too. They should get a lot of minutes. I just don't think it should be like 24 a night pretty much no matter what. I think, you know, 21 is more than enough. If you if you can't make a mark on a game in 21 minutes, I mean, Tavares and Nylander are doing it like one every three games playing 15 minutes a night. So if you can't do it pretty much every night playing 21 plus, like what are we talking about here? But anyways, neither here nor there. I also kind of prefaced by saying, by writing this week, that really they need to figure out what they're going to do with Hyman, right? Like, either Hyman's going to play on the first line, and then they need a top nine forward, right? I mean, they, they need a top six forward. But if Hyman's on the first line, I, you could kind of squint and say, okay, we have our first line, and we have two-thirds of our second line, and you could kind of use that that sixth spot, like, interchangeably between a whole collection of options, Right, like I know we're gonna talk about Galchenyuk at some point. You know, even Kerfoot's looked solid there. You could put Simmons there for a bit. You could put th like you could kind Where of squint. Kerfoot it. looked solid. Kerfoot's only looked good in one spot this year. In yeah, my skating fast on the second line. That's about yeah, it. With Tavares Nylander, he can be. He gets in on puck retrievals. He's actually a pretty decent player there. But Kerfoot yeah. on literally every other line, I'm looking at it and I'm going, Ew, I don't see what you're doing here to provide value. No, but if you're the Leafs, right, and and we're saying, okay, you have a first line intact. I would, you know, by top nine, I'm just being a little bit more general in terms of it could be a guy that you do play with Tavares and Nylander at times, but also a guy that you drop to carry the third line in the absence of Hyman. Because without that Hyman... That sounds like Michael Granlin to me. I don't know if Nashville's selling anymore because the league's a joke, but we'll get to that. Um, but yes, that kind of idea, right? Where that you could sit there and go, okay, we could get a lower guy for a lower cost. Conversely, if Hyman is on that de facto checking line one you're neutering the ice time of of jt and willie who are also by the way picking up 35 seconds of power play scraps every power play by by the looks of it right now they did try is... john tavares on the top unit the other night which you know is a, is a step in the right direction i would say but uh i don't know i don't know about joe thornton in the bumper spot i don't know if wayne simmons on pp1 is the proper way to I, allocate ice I believe, time resources i believe thornton has one point in his last 10 games like what that's what happens when here? you don't play him with matthews marner he's, he's not going to produce as much uh like, it's but, but it's he's still he's still doubling them up on power play time like 
Like, look, if if you want to sit there and like, I don't agree with it, but if you're going to sit there and say we don't want Nylander on that unit because we want him on the half wall and we're not going to put, you know, one of Matthews or Marner off the half wall for Nylander, I don't agree, but I could at least understand it. But in no world is Joe Thornton at 41 better than John Tavares today. In the bumper roll. It's just not possible. He shouldn't be in the bumper roll at all. The thing that bothers me with Thornton is that if you played him kind of in the corner or yeah. as, as a quote-unquote net front guy, but similar to the way that Nylander plays the net front roll, he doesn't actually stand right in top of the crease. He backs off t- below the goal line and threads passes east-west, you know, in the middle of the slot. I think that would be a good way to use Joe Thornton, but in the bumper roll, he's not going to shoot it. No, so it's pointless. I would just stand there and leave him open and dare him. But back to the Hyman point, I, I've been saying this all year, as you know. I think Hyman Matthews Marner is one of the best lines in the league. I think you could comfortably... Honestly, I was watching them last night, and I've thought about it a lot throughout the season, but I'm like, how could you sit there and be like, let's not play this line together in any way? Like, just pair them up, and you could comfortably play them against the other team's top line. Like, you don't even worry about it. You know why you do it? Or you know what the argument would be? is that if you look at expected goals, Thornton actually does better with that line than Hyman. And if you look at expected goals as well, Hyman does better with Engvall Mikheyev in terms of driving play than he does with Matthews Marner. So maybe that's the best way to maximize your team's talents, even if you're kind of screwing up Tavares Nylander's ice time. Honestly, it it means nothing to me in this one. Like, usually it does, but like... I'm going against the numbers here. Yeah, honestly, I think it's context. I think it's, you know, a little bit circumstantial in terms of, you know, when the lines are playing together. We know that Hyman has moved up there at times when they're down to try to get them back up. But he's also moved up there at times to close games in games that are tight. You know, uh, the first period is a little bit different than the third period. It really is. Should it be, though? I remember you brought this up to me. You said, hey, in the playoffs, they're all high leverage minutes. They are, but in the regular season, it's a little bit different. It is because teams aren't going to, like, load it up and treat it the same way, right? Like, uh, if you're Ottawa going earlier, like, yeah, we're going to try to, like, roll the lines. You're not going to get an Ottawa, first of all, in the playoffs. And then, second of all, like, teams aren't in the playoffs being like, yeah, we're going to get all of our lines into and stuff. They're like, we're going to get our big boys into it. Whatever happens with our scrap lines is whatever happens. But... You know, it, would you would you honestly and, you know, knowing the numbers that you just read, would you honestly sit there and say to me like, yeah, they should put Thornton on the Matthews Marner line and match them up defensively against other teams like like to go head to head against other teams top lines over Zach I'd send, Hyman. I'd send Thornton to Cabo for two weeks or it's COVID. So I, maybe just, you know, send him home to, to hang out with his family and, and get some rest. But I think they have an <laughs> uncomfortable conversation that's going to need to be had there with him. Well, I, he's 41 years old, and this happened with Ron Hainsey, too, if you remember, where he started off really strong the first month or two yeah. of the season. He played excellent with Morgan Riley. And then because he was playing every game and he was playing big minutes, 22-plus minutes a night, I, I made a chart of his just running shot differential. Season started off good, started off good, and then it looked like a mountain. It just went <laughs> negative shot differential by the end of the season to a significant degree. I don't know what the numbers would look like with Thornton in that regard, but if you did point production, it would look similar. <laughs> he yeah. started off the year very effective at a 60-point pace, I want to say, over an 82-game season, and you said one in his last 10 games. That adds up with my eye test. He looks like someone who, in open ice, he can't really do anything. Uh, defensively, I get that he's not the fastest skater. He never has been, realistically. That's never been one of his biggest strengths. But if you're worried about having him out there, against the other team's top six, is he someone that can check an opposing forward in transition defense? You get a bit worried about him there. He's good in the offensive zone. If you, if you can get him to the offensive zone, he's still brilliant there at winning puck battles below the goal line, threading passes to keep you on the cycle. I want it to work because if it could work, then what you could do, you could have Thornton Matthews Marner, insert player Tavares Nylander, Mikheyev, Engvall, Hyman. And those would all be lines that I think you could get north of 60% in the expected goal department, especially if it's a Taylor Hall that you're throwing on that second line. I think that would be the perfect scenario, but you need Thornton to work. And if Thornton isn't working on that top line, like you said, then there's a weird hole there, okay? And then we move Hyman to plug that hole. But if we're moving Hyman up there to plug the hole, now it's Mikheyev, Engvall, and Kerfoot? 
That's yeah, disgusting. I, I, you, you don't trust that at all. The, the thing is, too, though, of what you just said, which brings us right back to the beginning. If you do, if you do keep Hyman on that third line and they're your checking line, and let's just say a world, let's just go with Taylor Hall. You, you trade for Taylor Hall with playing with John Tavares and William Nylander to be your third line. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like at the and end of the day, they wouldn't be. Come on, those guys would be would getting twenty be? minutes, right? Would, you, you'd I don't think, think that they so. They would have to. I think that if you com- if you have that much talent on a line, I think the coaching staff would trust them in higher leverage minutes. They already have a ton of talent. They're not lacking for talent on Taylor Hall's better than Alex Galchenyuk. Of course he even is. Even though Galchenyuk has been Jesus but in these st- last couple of games. You still have John Tavares and William Nylander, who honestly I thought they've looked pretty good the last. I know we've given them a hard time early on, and now I'm I'm not flipping sides. I'm just going off of what they're playing. I think that they've been playing well the last few weeks and it hasn't mattered so honestly like having Galchenyuk there who can make plays in transition is kind of showing off that oh Tavares if you have him with two passers who can get him the puck in good spaces he's an extremely talented player when Wayne Simmons was there it didn't look great when Galchenyuk is not that good good. like he isn't like like the entire league passed him over a million times over the past year for a reason 47 points per 82 games throughout his career yeah like he's I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm just saying he's not that good. And him being on the line has made a huge difference. So just think about that. Imagine if they got a player who was like actually legit. A legitimate top six yeah, forward, like, maybe even first line forward. Yeah. Even let's just say Kyle Palmieri. It would be yeah. a massive difference, right? Like, goal upside. Yeah, because it's not Jimmy VC. It's not Wayne Simmons at however old he is skating with like Mohawk strides when he could just be skating in a straight line outside the zone. I like, like the Mohawk strides. I don't hate I them. don't mind them at times. Like, Matthews did it and scored the goal against Edmonton, right? Where he's like, I'm going to turn and my body's going to be facing forward. I'm being in a shooting position. But, like, there was a play. <laughs> I got to go find the video and clip it. Where, like, Simmons, like, fished it out of a pile in the, like, in the slot of the, of the Leafs' defensive zone. And he could have just skated out of the zone. And for some reason, he just, like mohawk mohawk one way and then like shifted his hips and did it the other it's like just skate in a straight line outside the zone man like he's been watching jeremy bracco tape yeah it honestly is just point being is this is the kind of stuff that john Tavares has been playing with online too i think ultimately you just want a guy where you're like we could play Tavares nylander with a galchenyuk or a kerfoot type or we could insert this guy but maybe early on we have him as the carrier of line three but we're really if you look at good teams at the end of the day what they do and i really point to i mean you could go back to even st louis winning the cup uh with ryan o'reilly the way that they deployed him but when i look at the best teams that were like dynasty la with kopitar chicago with taves and pittsburgh with sid really all they did is they said this is our best player and we're gonna play him against your best player and we're going to win. Like, that's that's how you do it. And if It that, helps having a Malkin and then a the HBK line but, when you were Pittsburgh. Yeah, but the Leafs should have that with Tavares and Nylander, right? So it should really just be, okay, here's here's Matthews. You know, you have Shifley, whatever. We're just going to put Matthews against you, and we're going to feel like we're going to win this. You have – Montreal is the weird one just because I don't really know who their first line is, but they have four good lines. I mean, it's the Deneau-Gallagher-Tatar line, right? I I think that's who they want to match up against Matthews, and I think Deneau does a good job. But if Deneau goes up against Matthews, or if he goes up against Tavares, or if he goes up against Pierre Engvall and Mikheyev, I still don't know if he's going to score a goal. Well, that's not what they do, though. They tilt the ice, and then someone will get the goal because they'll be in the offensive zone, and they'll get a bounce because they control almost 60% of the shots and chances. And I know that you, you, you like to say, oh, they don't have quality finishers. They also have the top goal differential at five on five in the he, division. He's a Montreal's great, a good team. He's a great checking center. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm saying like he's not a star where you sit there and go, this guy might burn us in a playoff series. He might burn you in a playoff series, but not the way that traditionally top players do. So we've been talking about moving Zach Hyman up and down the lineup. We're talking about the best way to optimize the Leafs lines. Let's dive into the TSN trade bait list because it's always fun to go through it. And let's see about plugging some of those holes in the Leafs lineup because they're obviously going to be trying to acquire a player at the deadline. Dubas has talked about it ad nauseum. We've been talking about it. We've been expecting a trade to come any of these days, and it hasn't come yet. So let's quickly go through the board here. 
Uh, Matias Ekholm and David Savard are 1-2 on the TSN trade board, both defensemen. We've talked about the possibility of the Leafs using these assets to acquire a defenseman. And, hey, if you can add Matias Ekholm to your team, you should do it. He's a good player. But I think with the Leafs, they have their top four defense solidified. It's more about trying to solidify their top three lines now offensively. So let's go down to the next couple names. Michael Granlin's here, Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, Tanner Pearson, Kyle Palmieri, Ryan Dezingle, Ricard Raquel got hurt the other night. That might completely destroy his trade value. Who jumps off the page for you here? So first thing, which because I promised our loyal listeners as well as yourself, league is a joke, all right? As we record this podcast, Nashville is tied for fourth, the final playoff spot in their division. I'm not sure they're selling. I'm really not. I think that I don't think they're going to sell a guy like Ekholm unless they get blown away by an offer. And now. Philip Forsberg's name s- is not on this list, so I think that's comp- no that's chance. notable. You know, right? So this is why the league is ridiculous. Just as a side note to this, because this is way more entertaining when there's a bunch of teams that are like, "Yeah, we're out and we're crap, and we need to sell." Instead, these teams that are crap are thinking okay we're we're not that bad and we could make a run here we could we're a win couple wins out, out because you're five yeah. or six points back and it's no because every team even when they lose they'll pick up a loser point and it's so hard to make up ground because of that ridiculous rule and if you if you read any of dom's work all the loser point does is it introduces more randomness into a sport that is already completely random so all you're yeah. doing is just making more parody in a sport that already does that for you yeah, and really, honestly, we look at it and it's like the NBA, the NFL, you are your record. There is no points or any of those things. Just this is your record. There, There's no middle ground. At least you know where you stand. This BS point system, you really don't know where you stand. You're honestly just, you're throwing darts with your eyes closed. So uh, that's my first point on it because I'm looking and I'm thinking, I don't think Nashville's selling at all. They might trade Granlin just because he's a UFA. I've been against Taylor Hall as we've been recording this podcast, but some of the prices that have been talked about on this guy, like we're talking not even a first round pick. Which is insane. I've, it's Taylor yeah, that's, Hall. That's way too far. I'm So here's the thing with me on Taylor Hall. Like, he's shooting what, 2% this year? I was going through some fancy stats the other day. He leads the NHL in high danger passes, you know, yeah. east-west passes in the offensive he's, zone. He's lowest passes in from five below on the five goal expected goals, I believe. Tavares yeah, he, is also, he, by the way, like fourth lowest. Yeah, Hall and Tavares both should have four more goals than they actually do this year. They've just been super unlucky with shooting percentages. So if you're telling me that a first-line talent in Taylor Hall – you can acquire him without giving up a first-round pick, and he's going to regress back into the player that he is because his shooting percentage is going to come way back up to earth if you play him with Tavares and Nylander. That, to me, that's the guy that you trade for. Did you watch the, Did you watch any of the game last night, though, between Philly and Buffalo? So I had to write the, the post-game Leafs article, but I had my Twitter timeline open, and it was it was 3 nothing for Philly going into the third period, and I'm thinking, okay, or no, three, sorry, 3 nothing for yeah. Buffalo going into the third period. And Philly came back and won. I was thinking, okay, Buffalo's finally going to get a win here. You saw the, the the image of five Philadelphia players collapsing basically into the crease. It was did, a funny did, little image. Did you see the overtime winner, though? But Buffalo started with what? Middlestat and Felino. Did you see the yeah. overtime winner? I, I did not. Taylor Hall, absolutely brutal on it. I'm not saying that's a reason to make a decision. I'm not Austin saying Matthews anything for acquiring. Three on three overtime. He missed too. a two on. He's a bad player. No, because but... he missed a two on one and had a chance. I think he. Uh, I think on what Matthews did there is uh, he got scared by McDavid's speed, and it was stupid. He should have just skated over to Darnell Nurse and been like, he I'll tried make to it a bump him two. a little bit when he should have. He should have put his head down and skated back as fast yeah, as he could have. And he would have been fine. Darnell Nurse isn't beating him down the ice. Connor McDavid obviously is, but Darnell Nurse he he played it dumb. What Hall did was just ridiculous. It was he watched he watched his teammate lose a two on one battle and floated there and then Provorov just beat him up the ice. Provorov, not McDavid, tripping him out, Provorov. And then Provorov got the pass on the two on one and then tucked it home for a goal. See, I never love and, reading too much into three on three just because there's there's so much craziness in there and it's no, not actually gonna matter in the I've, playoffs. I've it's watched five on five hockey. I, and I think that actually hurts the Leafs and I think that helps the Habs. But 
Anyways, I've watched a few of these Buffalo games over the past few weeks, and Taylor Hall has been I'm mailing so it I'm so sorry in. for you, by the way. He's I don't been know why you do that to yourself. Because I've been curious about Hall, but he's really mailing it in right now. I mean, and, if he's mailing it in and still one of the best in the league at carrying the puck from D zone to O zone and completing passes in the offensive zone, that he, tells me he's a pretty talented player. He is very talented. I'm just saying it's hard to to turn the switch on and off. I would be very curious. I'm very curious of as to how that kind of plays out because, yeah, he honestly they should just healthy him and get it over with until they trade him. But if the price is ridiculously low, I mean, he still stands out too much for me. Uh, in terms of like talent level although I don't think you'll like him but I actually do think Nick Felino is an interesting guy as a as a third liner that could potentially play with Tavares and Nylander as well but um, he's obviously no Zach Hyman replacement but I actually think an Engvall Felino Mikheyev line would be pretty gritty yeah, but uh, I just I, I'd like the idea of acquiring Taylor Hall. That way, you could even throw him on a third line and just be like, "Hey, run this line." You know, you're gonna yeah. be the transporter. You're gonna be the guy who carries it from D zone to O zone. Felino's certainly not better than Hall. Let's be clear on that. I just I think Felino is like a different kind of option. If they're yeah, like, yeah, and Palmieri, it's a similar vibe, right? It's the idea of these guys can kind of. If you're cycling in the offensive zone, they can win the battles in the gritty areas of the ice. If you're facing, like Columbus last year, I know Justin Bourne wrote an article about Toronto penetrating to the middle of the ice, and sometimes they have trouble getting to that net front area. They obviously have a ridiculous amount of skill, but do they have guys who, other than Zach Hyman, can make life difficult in the opposition in those in, in the crease? And Palmieri would give you that. Nick Foligno would give you a bit of that. I know someone brought up Boone Jenner the other day. I understand the idea around those players, but I also just think who's the best player available that will maximize your chances of winning a hockey game. Yeah. And I think that Taylor Hall is way higher on that list than any of these guys, but make the case for Nick Foligno. Go for it. I just think Foligno does a few things well that can kind of cater himself. Like he's played with skill guys before. So I think he would do a good job of complimenting uh, Tavares and Nylander. And he's been part of, I know their power play has been bad a lot the last little bit, but he's been successful in that bumper or in that net front kind of role where I think he could kind of serve with Tavares down low and then kind of work pucks to Nylander in the slot and just go to the net and be that guy. But he can also, he's been a checker for pretty much his entire career. He's lost a step though, to say the least. Um, but I think, you know, you wouldn't be asking a ton of the third line if you're sitting there and just saying, you're not our primary checking line, but we might put you out for defensive zone faceoffs or, you know, to take the odd shift away against a top line. You're like, maybe we don't want to put Matthews, Marner, Hyman against Shifley every single shift. You're going to spell them on the odd break just to kind of, you know, make us look for an advantage shift that we could get because... You know, if Matthews is going against a, a Matthew Perot type line, I think you're feeling okay about it, right? In terms of him, analytics being to darling, check. Matthew Perot. Yeah, and he's a good player, but I don't think that he could check against Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner and the gang there. So you brought up D zone faceoffs. Luke Glendening is 14th on the trade bait list. And how many times has he been linked to Toronto when Mike Babcock was here? I remember when they they were rumored to be oh a second round pick for Luke Glendening. I, I was be- just thinking. I would be curious if the Leafs are interested in him because Oh my god, they, another second round pick for a fourth line center. I'm not is saying that what he's they're gonna do? Second. I'm not saying they're even interested. I'm just saying Glenn Denning is legitimately one of the best face off men in the league. And so is Jason Spezza. Yep. And but the Leafs have struggled on face offs the last little bit. And I know that they have That's a few Pierre guys Engvall that are good. and Kerfoot suck at faceoffs. And that was the one thing I was thinking, even as I was saying it out loud about Felino, is to sit there and go I wonder if they would want somebody who could take faceoffs because Engvall really can't. And Hyman can't either. I know they've used him on PP or sorry, PK uh, faceoffs a lot because they don't really have a center to do it. So, and honestly, bless Spezza, but like if he loses a faceoff on the, on the PK, I'm like, this is a disaster. Like, but he wins like 60%. Oh yeah. When he wins, it's great. But when he loses it, I'm going, Oh, I do not. This is not good. It's it's a, it can be scary. He's usually out there with Hyman. Sometimes it's Marner. Yeah, and they've been using him a little bit in uh, not just PK but like late in game defensive zone faceoffs. I don't. I'm not unconvinced that the Leafs wouldn't want to upgrade on that. And Glenn Denning would be a better fit than Spezza for that kind of role. But do I want to give up a second line, a second round pick? No. I'm so, just saying I wouldn't rule it out. 
Okay, let's move off of the TSN trade bait list here because it, trade deadline day has always been one of my favorite days and just poor if, James Duffy if who we has go, nothing to talk about for six hours. There are a few other players, though, just out of curiosity. Do you have okay, any, quickly bring them up. Do you have any interest in Tanner Pearson? Is he hurt still or is he healthy again? He's hurt right now, but they're saying he's going to be okay from my understanding. I feel the same way about Tanner Pearson as I do about Nick Felino. I think he's That's a fair. pretty decent player. I just think that you should be looking to acquire a better player if you're a legitimate contender. Goligoski as a depth defenseman would intrigue me. I guess an upgrade over Dermot? No, it was an upgrade over Martin Marinson. <laughs> just, he's there. At least if he's going in, I feel a little bit better as their seventh guy. And you're like, he's 35. He's a little bit old. Um for relative to the league anyway, and you just sit there. People and, keep oh. talking about depth defensemen that the Leafs are going to trade for, but I'm looking at the names here, and I'm not liking any of them. No, I think Goligoski's okay, though, and he could play left and right, and he could PK. Um, I would feel a little bit better about him. And we did have somebody ask us on Twitter if uh, um, about D replacements and if it was Martin Marinson as the next guy up. I think it would be Rasmus Sandin. I also don't know how I feel about just throwing him into... Um, into playoff games as a rookie. He had some nervous moments as a rookie to me. Uh, yeah, and his... I mean, if you look at his numbers against elite competition, he was the most sheltered Leaf by far. They didn't trust him in those minutes. And in those minutes, he got murdered. He he got absolutely destroyed in the high-danger chances from in tight. So, so it's understandable point, that he... Yeah. Depth D-man is a conversation, I think. Goligoski would be... He would be... In, I, I wouldn't give up much. Don't get me wrong. It's a depth D-man. But I would be okay... Ricard Raquel, we never really talked about. To me, he's a no. I don't think they need another right-handed, right-handed forward. Do, can he can he play either wing, or does he only play the right side? Well, he came in as a center too. I uh, know at times he has played left wing. At times he did play with Getzlaff and Perry, way back. So maybe he's one where if the price is right because of the injury, maybe if you don't have to give up as many assets as you would have previously, I someone who might fit the bill. I think price on him is going to be ridiculous, and he has a year left and. And Murray is notoriously just a brutal negotiator. And I'd probably sit there and just be like, honestly, your team's shit. I don't This is to... why I want Taylor Hall, because yeah. the price is so low for yeah. a really good player. Yeah. Uh, then we go down the list. Brandon Montour plays for Buffalo. That's a no. Um, <laughs> Bobby Ryan, Eric Stahl has been traded. Mark Stahl, absolutely not. Colin Miller, absolutely not. I didn't know Mark Stahl was in the league, by the way. I had to double check. Yeah. Oh, he's on Detroit. Right. Okay. I guess he's... Does that count? Kulikov, no. Marcus Sorensen. Actually, I think he would be kind of interesting as a as a grinder if they really wanted to. But Joe Thornton's going to have PTSD. Yeah. He's going to say, oh my God, I have to play with Marcus Sorensen again? Yeah. And I, I don't know the extent of to what he's available. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever get over the whole Kadri thing with him, but... Jake DeBrusque would actually be interesting, but it's There's not no really... Boston's trading Jake DeBrusque yeah, to it's Toronto. Ju it's just one of those things, right, where it's like the price probably won't make sense. It just doesn't make any sense to waste your time on going after this kind of guy. Can but... I mention one more thing on this trade bait list? Yeah. Uh, number seven is Toronto's top prospect. But who is it? And number, th number 13... No, it, it just it it says Toronto. I know. I'm saying who it is says, it? says quote-unquote. Is it Sandine? I, I would have Sandine above Robertson and Amarov personally. but that's another conversation. Number 13 on the trade bait list is, quote-unquote, Chicago's cap space. <laughs> and I think that's going to end up being the team who, if the Leafs are acquiring Taylor Hall, maybe they eat another additional portion of the salary so that it's easier to fit him under the cap. Yeah, that could work. I mean, Maybe you have to throw them an extra asset, you know, draft pick, B-level prospect. If you're Buffalo, wouldn't you want to get Alex Kerfoot back? I would. Is, I remember I was joking this with you. Is Alex Kerfoot an asset? At three and a half million dollars in the NHL? No, but if I'm Buffalo, I'm looking at that roster. I'm like, how many NHL forwards are here? I mean, it's embarrassing. How many, at least Kerfoot can skate. He's at a relatively young age still. Like he's in, you know. Um, I just look at their roster. It's just stunning to me. And I've been saying this to a few people. Like, how is Gergensen still in that organization? Because he was an all-star. How is he in that organization? Get rid of this guy. Like, Get rid of this trash you guys have been collecting for years. Don't and talk start about Rasmus Ristolainen in that way. Man, he offensive. also struggles. And the saddest thing to me is Darlene is unreal. And I would tell you, I've been watching a bunch of Buffalo games. And he'll still have flashes. But they're just ruining this guy. 
Like his just... numbers in his rookie year, he like led the Orr. NHL in. <laughs> I, th- I think it was zone exit percentage. He was the best in the league in his rookie year, and you're he thinking, had, oh my god, this guy has one the, the puck skills. The most productive rookie seasons for a defenseman in the history of the league. He had one of the most productive seasons as a 16-year-old in the SHL. I mean, that's the the track record on this guy was awesome. And then in Buffalo, if you look at his actual on-ice impact, it's been pathetic these last couple of years. It's sad. It's sad for a guy who you can see flashes of elite skill and it doesn't materialize. It's a and dumpster. by the way, I'm talking about Casey Middlestat. Yeah, the Middlestat <laughs> thing. So I don't know how. I ended up, I try to go to a number of Leaf games throughout each season. And I was in, so Middlestat's debut was in Toronto, you might recall, a few years ago. And I just happened to be at that game. I remember texting my friends. I'm like, why does that, why do people think this guy's good? Like, he looks at five terrible. on five. He hasn't. He never produced in any league at a high level. Yeah. At the USHL level, he never produced at five on five. In the NCAA, he never produced at five on five. But everyone watched him at the World Juniors score a bunch of points. And so, sometimes you look at a guy like I knew that in in the arena that day. I was like, this guy sucks. You just watched him. Immediately. That was me with Andrew Nielsen. I saw Andrew Nielsen skate once and went, nope. Yeah. Nope. That's not it. Conversely, I was at the uh, the World Championships when uh, they had the team North America and the rookie team or whatever it was, um, like the young kids team with Matthews Under and 23? McDavid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, North America. And I just happened to go to that uh, that when they played Sweden in that ridiculous overtime game. I was oh, in the you arena. Were there? You yeah. Were there? Oh man, and that's one of the best games of all. It time. was wild. It was like I stood the entire overtime, just losing it with even the first like five minutes of that game. Yeah, were a million breakaways. It was awesome. It was wild, and and I'm watching, and that Matthews had yet to play for the Leafs, right? But Eichel had played the year before, and Eichel is amazing. And I'm watching both of them. I'm like Matthews already looks better than Eichel, and Eichel is sick. He hadn't sick. played an NHL game yeah. yet, and he was playing on the top power play unit with McDavid and company. It was so cool. Yeah. I mean, as a Leafs fan who was just getting excited about this young prospect, it was it was a really cool experience. I left the arena. I'm like, man, like Eichel, it was already amazing last year, and this Matthews guy, like, he doesn't look better. He looks significantly better. Like, he looks like different planet better. And I know people will fight me on that, but. You know, I mean, I, if you look at the 200-foot impact, the, the the numbers will back you up on that. Just watching them, I was like, man, this guy's incredible, and he hasn't played a game yet. And then, of course, he threw down the four-goal game, and I was like, all right, this... I don't know what's happened here, but this guy's a Toronto Maple Leaf. Okay, we're going long here today, so let's finish up with overreaction, underreaction. I'll keep my stat of the week. My stat of the week will be the fact that the Montreal Canadiens' goal differential is still awesome, and... I think they're a way better team than people realize. But their problem, but their goaltending sucks. It yeah, does. That's the funny thing. You paid what four, fifteen million dollars for goaltending, and you don't have good goaltending. That's a problem. It, it, but it's overreaction, underreaction time, Anthony. What do we have first on the docket? I'm gonna say first. Actually, let's talk goaltending. So Frederick Anderson is injured. Jack Campbell is injured. Michael Hutchinson is currently the guy in net, and he's not very good. Do they have to acquire a fourth goalie? Here's what I want to see. I want them to acquire Taylor Hall and Linus Ulmark. That's my trade. Yeah, I don't know why Buffalo... Well, I mean, mind you, Ulmark is... He's a UFA. Is, yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to resign there. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. My thing is... First off, this, is, this was one particular reason why I'm not particularly trustworthy of Jack Campbell. I just don't know if this guy can hold up. I really He's don't. never played a starter's load, and as a goaltender, that it's. I mean, anyone who's in the medical profession who knows about load, I mean, the the amount of stress that's on your groin, on your knees, when you're dropping down to the butterfly a bunch of times every night, and then you have to do that consistently three times a week, it it adds up. And he's never done that before, and it's it's something you really need to consider here. And he's 29. You know, it's not. He's not 22, and and you're sitting there going, okay. You can work Young your way legs, into it. Young fresh legs, he's flexible. Yeah, he's 29 years old. So he's been good when he's been in, generally speaking. And even in the games where he hasn't uh, you know, been his sharpest to his own admission, he's still come up with big moments. Now, do I think that he's capable of having the best save percentage across the entire league? No. So I think at some point... You don't point, need that to win a championship. No, no. But I'm saying that's what he's rocking right now. And I'm saying it's going to come down to earth hard. That's... Yeah. yeah. That's a very fair point. What right. is it right now? Is it like 950 something? 945 or something. Okay. Like, yeah. It's, that's it, not going to last. Yeah. It's going to come down to... 
I mean, even if he plays league average the rest of the way, it's, it's going to come down. Yeah, it's it's 945 among goalies that have played at least five games. It's the highest. It's just... And I think you'd be happy with league real. average goaltending the rest of the way. And I think Freddie's a bit more capable of that. As I said Is last he? week, I, mean, I the do. The last year and a half, he hasn't been able to do it. But the three years prior, he was like a staple of consistency at 918, despite playing 65 games every year. He's shown it. So I don't know. I, I'm hopeful on him. I really am. It's nothing more than a hunch. I can't sit here and say, I can prove it to you or hear like great reasons that I have. They're all probably stupid. I just... I really just I think it's a a bit of a strange dynamic if you introduce a fourth goalie into it and having to manage it. Um but we're also not doctors. Like I don't have the full reports here. I don't have the information that Dubas has to I mean actually Anderson, know. it's weird. They've been didn't they say that they, they went to a third party evaluator at one point? Because I'm not sure if they were happy with what their medical team said. I, I'm so, not in the room. I have no idea what's happening. So that's the thing. If they're sitting there and they're counting on both of these guys coming back, I would be okay rolling with them because I really don't like the goalie market. Um The goalie that, market's always bizarre. You never know. Like I mean, you have a fourth weird. round pick for James Reimer that one year. Here, I, I've got a quick question for you. You're giving up a third or a fourth round pick for a depth piece at the deadline. Would you rather that position be defense or goaltending? I lean defense. If, if I th- if I think that Campbell and Anderson are going to return, I lean defense as well. If I'm even remotely, and it's sketchy right now on Freddie, the reports and the comments and everything out there, it's sketchy. So if they're sitting there going... We don't really know what's happening here. It has to be a goalie. It has to be. <laughs> yep. And goalies. And is th- is Anderson thirty? Uh, Anderson is uh is I think he's an eight eighty nine or is he a a ninety? So, uh, Jack Campbell's a ninety two. I thought they were that, they were in the same draft. Old. I'm a ninety two. Yeah, Anderson's an eighty nine. So a little bit older. They were drafted in the same draft. That's so awesome. yeah, that's kind of the way. I'm trying not to overreact to the goalie thing. I'm trying to like hold out hope. The Leafs employ this whole sports science department. Uh, they try to be on the cutting edge of these things. Like, let's figure it out and get some healthy goalies then. You know what a sports science department would tell you? Yeah. That a goaltender in his 30s with injuries in the last year or two is not a safe bet. In that case, I'm like, here's a fifth round pick. Let's bring in Devin Dubnik or whatever. Oh my um, God, he hasn't made a save in how many years now? I don't. I saw him I, on the trade bait list. Yeah. I was just wondering who sees who, Devin Dubnik as a positive value asset in the NHL I, right now. I don't. But who else are you going to get? Unless Allmark is available, but Allmark's also like not really a guy. No, Allmark. I was looking him up the other day. How many starts does he have in his professional career? He's actually he been pretty good. I know. A hundred and eleven starts and a save percentage of. Hold up. This is where editing comes into play. I think it's pretty good. It's like 9-11. 9-12, which I think is around league average in those seasons because save percentage save percentage used to be the league average was like 9-15, and it's been coming down every season. I'm not even sure. I think it's below 9-10 now. Yeah, I think it's like 9 or 9-08 or something. Yeah. So Linus Allmark's been a league average goalie in over 100 starts. That's a good sample for me. That's why I want him to be a part of the Taylor Hall trade. Maybe you can fetch a first-round pick in the Taylor Hall trade. If you're giving up Linus Allmark, 27 year old, six foot four goaltender with a long track record of solid performance. Yeah, that's fair. I won't fight you on that. I I am worried about goaltending. I'm really holding out hope that these guys can just get healthy and you know get it together. All right, but, let's go to here on a positive overreaction, underreaction to Alex Galchenyuk's performance in his first few games as Maple Leaf. Uh, I think people are overreacting. I'm super encouraged by what he's done. Uh, I'm not even remotely ready to trust this guy just yet, uh, especially over the course of a playoff run. I do think, as we haven't really talked about this much because the Leafs haven't played the Habs recently, I do think a Galchenyuk versus the Habs in the playoff series could actually... an overtime yeah, winning goal. Yeah. yeah, I'm picturing... like He's like on a knee like machine gun celebration. Like... <laughs> Just picking off the you know the press box like I could I could see him being fairly Points directly electric. at March Mark Bergevin he, in the press right box. like he <laughs> he seems like that guy like he's he he has that fire for those moments and we used to see it with uh, Mikhail Grabowski when he went back to Montreal I could kind of see Galchenyuk following that same sort of he's just he's been fiery throughout his career at times I think he could actually do that in that kind of series but. I'm certainly not ready to trust him, but I like what he's 
he's doing so far and he's earned a longer look so kudos to him I'll say that we're overreacting to him playing in the top six because in a playoff scenario, I don't think there's any chance of that happening. But I've heard people say that you can't play him in the bottom six. And this is where I'll say I think we're underreacting to the value that he can have on this team because watching him play with Jason Spezza, if you shelter that line and give them some offensive usage, his ability to make plays, Wayne Simmons can't make a play. Jimmy Vesey couldn't make a play. Alex Galchenyuk in transition can make a play. And if you play him with someone who can continue to make plays and passing sequences, you, you can see what he can do with Jason Spezza that between the legs pass to get him a one-timer. Is Galchenyuk, Galchenyuk Spezza-Simmons just a weird fourth line, or will it strangely work? I think it might strangely work because, think about it, Alex Galchenyuk can do a lot of the puck transporting. Jason Spezza, even though he's slow, he's he's been their points leader at 5-on-5 five five if you adjust for minutes. It's insane. You need a big goal, Jason Spezza. <laughs> And frankly, I mean, maybe we're underreacting to how bad Wayne Simmons has been at five on five, but I'm, I'm not quite sure he, what he really does. He there. has been bad there for years. I was trying to warn people all throughout the offseason. I was like, this guy doesn't do much other than. The and power I know that play. the nerds are saying that, like, you know, if you look at the shots and the chances when he's on the ice, you're kind of getting hemmed in. And I like Wayne Simmons when he's, you know, fighting people and when he's standing in front of that power play. But when the puck's on his stick on the breakout, you're not getting out. And that's a problem. So. And maybe one person him... did mention, sorry, not to cut, finish your point first. Right. I was just going to say, maybe so... if you play him with a few players who can transport the puck up the ice, then maybe he can come in and be that complimentary net front presence. On the note of Simmons, I just wanted to get to it because someone did ask us about this um, on Twitter, is they mentioned Simmons as an enforcer because we've, Zach Cassian destroyed John Tavares. That was a huge hit. That was, uh, that was charging, by the way. Oh, I don't yeah. Know why we don't... But he crushed it. When was the last time you saw a charging call in the NHL? That, uh, that Tanev, um, what was it, Tanev, Brandon Carlo thing where he skated Oh, where he started from one side ice. of the boards to yeah. the other side of the boards. That, that, was that, uh, that was the podcast that we filmed a few weeks ago where before we started recording, I told you I was watching this game and Tanev just destroyed someone. That was the hit. A friend of the show, Mikey Stevens in NHL yeah. 21, will always do that, and he'll always complain that he has no idea why it was a penalty. And I'm like, dude, it's charging. You can't take 20 steps at a guy. It's a full charge. But someone asked us about Simmons as an enforcer because we saw that. We saw the Marner thing. We've seen a few liberties on Matthews over the past few weeks, and Simmons hasn't really done anything. Neither and is Bogosian. You'd think that that would be kind of their role. I a little bit more from Bogosian physically. It really hasn't been there. But I'll say... Bogosian got ran over by Cassian. Yeah, and I was did. expecting a response, and, and there was no response. Either. Oh. And I'll say the thing that it slightly bothers me. So Simmons got signed, and then he made some comments like right away about, you know, the guys won't be messing with, with our stars like while I'm here and on the radio Every and stuff. Every big guy says that. And I'm like, you're just <laughs> setting yourself up for failure, man. Like, you can't... Like, Tavares got destroyed. He did. He did. He got absolutely crushed. Everyone saw that I, hit. I have a and problem went... with this. I mean, this and is I'm the not, Matt Martin fiasco I'm not saying again, he has but... to do anything. I'm saying he put himself with his words as a guy that had to do something. Right? And I'm I not even that role... game. And they played them the night, like, two nights after. He could have easily tapped him on the shin pads first period of the game on Monday and said, like, You're fi- we're fighting and you know why. I think Wayne Simmons' role on this team is to manufacture energy, particularly yeah. in a COVID season where there's no fans. I know Kevin Bx had talked about the fact that fights are actually up this year compared to last year. And fights have been progressively going down over the decade because we don't have as many Colt Nors out there anymore. Mm-hmm. But fights are, are up from last year. And his theory is that while there's no fans, it's hard to get the guys going. So maybe guys are dropping the gloves a bit more often to try to get their teammates going. I think so. so if Wayne Simmons in the playoffs can have the odd fight here and there, uh, you know, when people are scrumming after the whistle, he's, he's mucking it up. If he's finishing his checks in the offensive zone, if he's getting to the net front, and remember that goal he scored in the power play where it was full JVR, he just yeah. tucked it right under the bar. If you can see a bit of that from Wayne Simmons, you're happy. But he was also shooting like 60% on the power play to start the season. That was never going to last. The five-on-five five concerns, I think, are real, but that's why you shelter him and play him with your five-on-five five points per 60 leader. And a guy in Alex Galchenyuk who's averaged 47 points per 82 games. That's talent. That's production. That's You can have skill on your fourth line. It's allowed. And I think sometimes people forget that. Yeah. And, yeah, all that to say is I think some of that enforcer stuff is really overblown. Like, I, I should just go back and, like, screenshot a number of the comments people were making when Simmons was signed. It just it doesn't really happen. 
Um, I mean, do you remember when Chris Neal played like two or three minutes in a playoff game and he had a fight and then the Ottawa media was saying, oh, Chris Neal is the MVP of this game. He gave the team what they needed. And I'm like, dude, played two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's overblown. Sometimes I think it's underappreciated on Twitter too. Like some people. Especially the nerds like me. Well, honestly, I thought Spezza's fight did make it. I thought it did fire up the team against Columbus. And I know people will throw at any number of numbers really to say why that didn't but hey like it's still a game of emotion it's uh you know it is a game of emotion so sometimes it can play a factor uh but last one we have we kind of talked about him a little bit joe thornton who's just been struggling overreacting underreacting i think we touched on him enough in this podcast to basically say that uh he hasn't been playing well lately and he needs a night off Uh, is there a player in the league who needs a night off more than joe thornton Ron Hainsey's not even in Taylor the league Hall? this year, and Ron Hainsey <laughs> might need a night off. Taylor Hall Jack needs Eichel. to be Taylor Hall needs to be healthy until they trade him. And I'll just reiterate for Joe Thornton: I think they have a really uncomfortable conversation coming up with him if they're being honest with themselves, or they going to play in the playoffs. You yeah, mean, like maybe not every night, kind of thing. Or they, I'm wondering, or they do the Patrick Marlowe coward thing where they just don't address the elephant in the room, and he plays like crap, and they keep playing him. And I'm worried about that because if you just keep playing the guy like 82 games or whatever it is this year, 56 games, it's how does that improve your chances of winning in the playoffs? Because we can all see that this 41-year-old player is going through it a bit right now in the dog days of the season. LeBron James takes a two-week vacation when he plays for the Miami Heat to make sure that his body is in peak physical conditioning when, it, when the games actually matter. Joe Thornton's kind of deteriorating right now, and they're not doing anything about it. He played more minutes than Tavares the other night. They got to fix this. That I can't even on. I looked at the time on ice and I was watching that game where he played more than Tavares. I don't understand why people aren't mad about this. I don't understand why. I get why they want Thornton Matthews Marner to work. Because again, we discussed how that really makes the rest of your lineup. Your top nine looks awesome if Thornton can work there. But also, why is he playing on back-to-backs? Why is he playing three times in four nights? Why? There's no point. Uh, accruing cap space is the only logical reason I can come up with is that if you rest him and then bring in another player to take that spot, that hurts your cap space and you want to have as many dollars as you possibly can come trade deadline day when Taylor Hall's $8 million is going to be hard to, to squeeze into your cap sheet. But, man, Joe Thornton, go have a night off. Go have a margarita. Go hang out with your family. I, I, I really like this player and I want him to work on this lineup, but... Playing him every single night isn't helping him at this point. No. All right. Stat of the week, and let's get out of here. I already told you that I didn't have a stat of the week and that we were just going to use Montreal's goal differential, but here, I'll pull it up real quick. I'll give it to you. We've got a few minutes here. Might as well. I think our Calgary uh, conversation is looking pretty bad right about now, so I'll stall Dude, for you with that. I, Damn. I jumped the gun so hard when Daryl Sutter came in his first three games. I, think I still quite like Sutter. 60% Corsi. I was just thinking, man, it's back. This LA Kings forecheck, they're going to dominate teams, and apparently not. I still really like Sutter. I just, I guess Calgary is just a little bit more wrong as an overall. Something's wrong there a little bit more beyond just the coaching. All right, here's my stat of the week. Montreal Canadiens are second NHL in uh, shot differential at 5-on-5. Five five. They are second in the NHL at expected goals differential at 5-on-5. Five five. They are second in the NHL at scoring chance differential at 5-on-5. Five five. And they are second in the NHL in goal differential at 5-on-5. Five five. They're a very good team, and if you're not afraid of them, you should be. Yeah, and, and did they lead the league in, like, overtime losses i think they're like one and eight and that's just a random stat that again yeah. in the playoffs doesn't matter three on three overtime does not matter and honestly the leafs are kind of like living off it a little bit recently like they really are that it's i'm a little concerned about that they right, like the leafs play here, for Anthony. overtime sometimes and i don't want to hit an hour i really want to get out of here under an hour so we should wrap things up all we'll right be back next week uh who do the Leafs play this week what games are we going to be watching i don't know we're trying to keep it under an hour let's go <laughs> <laughs> We've got to rush off the ice here. Treat this like a John Tavares shift. Like, oh, no, sorry. Got to get Zach Hyman out there. Off the ice, buddy. <laughs> Good talk, Anthony. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week, everyone. And, yes, this is under an hour. Cheers. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.